welcome to the GFT uh, podcast on blockchain um, and uh, crypto, your immutable future. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, DAML efficiencies uh, for global custodian workflows. And uh, with me, I've got uh, Rodrigo uh, Medgenberg, who's the uh, business development lead for EMEA for digital assets. So welcome, welcome to the show, Rodrigo. Good morning. Thank you, David, for having me. So let's dive right in. So GFT and, and, and DA um, uh, are both working with a lot of global custodians um, all across the globe. How many global custodians are, are currently working with DAML, do you think? And what phase of development are they in at the moment? Oh, you go straight for the metrics. Uh, well, we are currently in discussions with um, many custodian banks, but um, if you uh, mean the top global ones, we're discussing projects with uh, four of them. And um, if you think about uh, what it means to be, you know, development phases in general regarding DAML, I think before we dive into that, I think we need to understand how the market is rapidly evolving in this space. And um, I want to talk to you today about maybe three main themes. The first one is increased competition. So in my opinion, if you think about the space, banks will pivot towards custodian services given that central bank digital currency narrative uh, that we're hearing you know, all over the news these days. So that will force traditional retail banks to really rethink their business models. So hence, you'll see that increased competition. Second, I think there's an argument to be made with uh, the whole advent of crypto. Um, so in other words, do custodians really have the same meaning as we have traditionally defined them? So you know, I think there's, a, there's another narrative to be made there. And the last one, the third one is, I believe it's the whole regulatory engagement. So it seems increasingly that regulators understand, um, especially in the case of GCs, that many institutions are operating in a constrained environment. This means that with increased uh, regulatory pressure, um, you know, the, the revenues will be, you know, compressed. They also understand that this technology, um, you know, DLT, can aid those challenges while allowing institutions to comply with these regulatory requirements. So in essence, these are the three themes, you know, that that we're seeing, you know, that are making, you know, the development phases, um, I, I would say a little bit longer than we traditionally would like to. But to answer your questions, you know, where are we in DAML specifically? So I think you will see in 2021, you know, a lot of uh, GCs coming online with um, not only POCs, but uh, with enterprise-grade production solutions. And I think there's a great deal of focus on the degree to which the best practice of, of safekeeping and custodian services can be applied to the digital assets. So in summary, development will increase in all forms of scale across financial services, and um, mostly because I would say it's actively in the hands of developers already. Yeah, that, that makes sense, and that marries very well to what we're seeing um, in GFT across, across the board. So we're seeing uh, more acceptance and more uh, more GCs just becoming much more, more involved in this. And as I think you, you aptly put, I think that a lot of that has to do with uh, the regulator's position and the GCs now feel more comfortable um, working in crypto or smart contracts, uh, whereas they you know they, they weren't before. So that's uh, that's good to hear. So one of, one of the big things for, for global custodians is, is obviously security. That's a big thing for them. They need to make sure that everything that they're doing is um, super secure because breaks can be costly. How does um, DAML uh, promote security from, from development through to production deployment? Uh, what's its secret source in this area as such? 
That is a very good question. And, and to be honest, um, it is our secret sauce. So DAML, as um, uh, your readers might, uh, listeners might know, is a flexible language uh, that has actually inherent security and privacy and can apply itself to a number of different use cases. But I think in, in the essence for, for non-developers who are listening, um, we concentrate uh, DAML on business logic and we took care, so to say, of all the security features uh, that apply when when writing code on a ledger. And if you think about it at a high level, you know, GCs are looking, you know, what are they looking at when they design workflows with DAML? Well, the emphasis is shifting towards business cases with uh, solid outcomes. So you want to eliminate unnecessary steps in the clearing and settlement processes, for instances, or the reduction of risk and associated capital costs uh, when it uh, comes to operating processes. Um, at the end of the day, you want the ability to expand, um, you know, STP across client and counterparty activities and create new services. So the real business challenge that, that the technology or the current technology um, has are marked by separated workflows and duplicated data stores that, uh, you know, cannot, uh, ad- cannot be addressed with uh, conventional technology. And I think that is exactly where, where DAML um, takes that headache away from developers. I can give you, I guess, one example um, in terms of uh, what we're doing with, uh, for instance, the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. Here, DAML is, is solving a real-world business challenge. Um, so if you think about uh, the Northbound Stock uh, Connect program, um, here we're making it more accessible to global custodians or local custodians even um, to have outreach for global investors. So their goals are focused on driving direct connectivity to a broader range of market participants and automating much of the complex multi-party workflows for trade allocation and settlement uh, initiation. So if you think about it, it's it's really uh, the old uh, challenge of, you know, how do we connect um, all these different parties together and do it in something that doesn't take four days, uh, but uh, in essence, a couple of hours. That makes uh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so being being secure is uh, is obviously high priority, but also being able to be really efficient when you're when you're coding, you know, is a big uh, differentiator for, for for DAML over other smart contract languages, and that that makes a lot of sense. So I suppose sub custodians and local custodians have an important part to play in asset custody. It's not just the global custodians, but the sub-custodians as well, or local custodians. How do they fit into this network um, when you put it all together? That's a good question. I think um, in order to to understand that, you know, I think, you know, what, what were the challenges uh, to begin with for local custodians and global custodians, right? So in the, in the current operating model, global custodians, you know, they relied on local sub-custodians uh, to hold the accounts in the country CSD or in the, their central bank. So the local sub-custodians um, have direct control over their client, AUC, and that creates costs, uh, risks uh, that are difficult for the global custodians to offset or mitigate or know about contractually and even regulatory because they might be in a you know, different country even. So ultimately, the global custodian has the burden of direct liability and the associated capital cost uh, you know, with the indirect asset control. So, you know, if you think now, you know, how do we solve that? So DAML driven um, direct asset control creates an opportunity for those custodians and their clients to benefit from increased direct control over assets under custody. 
So what does that mean? So the mechanism that utilizes DAML structures to record legal attributes directly on the record of the individual asset, hereby providing you know, significant flexibility and precision in identifying the custodian, intermediary agents, the beneficial owner, and any you know, secured party. Um, so if you think about it, it's, it's really about um, writing the business logic on the asset itself. And that's how I would describe it uh, for non-technical business owners to understand, you know, what, what the main difference is. And that was never be, you know, it wasn't able to be done before the, you know, advent of smart contracts. Yeah, that's quite um, a substantial shift in, um, in the way that they deal with, um, deal with their systems and their workflows. And obviously, uh, creates a, a much more flexible uh, automated workflow. So that, you can see why um, they would be interested in in uh, in this area, in smart contract area in general. Um, Absolutely, so so advantageous for them. Yeah, and and if you think about it, you know, it 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 really at the end of the day, it really reduces risks for banks and yep. um, and improves the the whole compliance and regulatory rules associated with that. That makes sense. Other than uh, subcustodians um, and custodians that we spoke a bit about uh, previously, what are the other players in the traditional custody ecosystem? up to well and you, if you think the of the mf you know fmi infrastructure such you know you've got the exchanges you've got uh, central security plus csds you've got the ccps you know the counterparties and you know you, you've got a really a, a broad range of market participants uh, you also have the sell side let's not forget the broker dealers um you know that 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 are part of the equation uh, especially uh, in, on the equity side and um, you know the asset owners themselves. So we're seeing you know a, a real shift from merely evaluating the technology to defining you know the production deployments of of these DLTs and smart contract solutions. So so why do we see it? Well, first um, there's the opportunity to automate. Um, and I think uh, here, if you you know if you hear in the news about digital workflows uh, it's all about how to automate things you know how to automate between multiple parties uh, and here you know forget about dlt for a second it doesn't matter if it's centralized or decentralized it's really about buyers and sellers of an asset and their brokers and their custodians you know sharing uh, a ledger where all parties can interact with and utilize uh, with confidence that the data is uh, consistently reliable and sync and fully reconciled um, so this is, you know, this is the key because this is only possible if the data is never siloed. You know, it doesn't reside in 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 separate uh, or segregated uh, databases. And uh, also very important, it it does it isn't really dupli uh, duplicated across the parties' operational areas, and thus it's not prone to, you know, interpretation um, uh, or separate use cases. And I would say critically, the workflows uh, here that, that are created, uh, mutualized, uh, coming back to our reduction of uh, cost and risk. Uh, the workflow is automated because the rights and obligations of each party are defined, known. This is uh, the essence, I guess, of a smart contract. And at the end of the day, they're examinable and consistent with, with legal agreements. Um, so actions here are certain to be performed exactly as the parties have defined, um, you know, using the um, Damel and, and smart contracts. Okay, and we've spoken a, a lot about 
see the, the, the huge amount of benefits that there are with uh, with using smart contracts and, and DAML. Um, but what, what are the um, all the business or, or technological barriers that are stopping GCs moving to a completely distributed model uh, underpinned by DLT at this point in time? Well, um, I actually believe there are not really technological barriers, but regulatory barriers. But my, my favorite barrier, to be quite honest with you, it's the do nothing. So um, obviously in business development at DA, you know, when, when we talk, uh, you know, together with, with GFT to, to some of these customers, it's really the, the analysis paralysis uh, that is really stopping everything. Um, and I guess we'll, we'll get into that uh, later on in, 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 in part. But as mentioned in the beginning, the competitive pressures are starting to pile on and hence the roles will change um, of the parties themselves. And certainly products and services will shift across the value chain as uh, participants gain opportunity to offer services previously you know, tied solely to custody of assets. So we've got the competitive threats, um, you know, you've got, um, you know, but, but at the end of the day, firms will still exist because they are trusted to perform certain agency and fiduciary responsibilities. So if you think about all the talk that some of these, you know, um, companies will cease to exist because DLT, I, I actually don't believe that because you, you, you still will need that fiduciary responsibility. But having said that, I guess there's four areas uh, in which custodians are challenged. The first one is cost. Cost is forever important and, and uh, maybe now more than ever given the low industry return on equity. Um, technical debt and legal uh, and legacy systems can consume large chunks of IT spend. Um, so that, that would be one thing. The second, I would say, is time to market. Being able to launch products quickly as a critical competitive differentiator in the current crowded marketplace is, 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 the, is, is really important. So hence, uh, as I said before, this analysis paralysis is really not helping. Uh, it's actually putting um, any you know, firm at a disadvantage. So with this faster product delivery, you know, there, the, the problem that we will see, and I guess GFT as a system integrator, is that restrained monolithic architecture. So you, you enter into projects, you lead in multiple interdependencies and bottlenecks because obviously you've got a lot of systems that need to talk to each other. So how do you... How do you make sense of it all when everything is poorly documented? Uh, documented. There's uh, legacy code uh, lying around, um, and um, at the end of the day, it, it causes over reliance on uh, um, you know number of subject matter experts. So you know that's that's a challenge. Then third, uh, and this is important, is personalization. Uh, customers increasingly expect a personalized experience. Uh, so hence the rise of the fintechs, you know, like they're able to capture that market because they're able to do that. But banks, um, you know, retail banks, as we know, they often store data in multiple, you know, product aligned core systems. So this inhibits by itself catering to these, you know, new individual needs of, um, you know, millennials and everybody else who, who want instant gratification. So uh, to give you an example, so uh, one major bank, they had to invest in a major two-year program just to offer customers a combined view of savings accounts and investment products. You know, fintechs, they can do that in three months. So hence, you know, we, we, we see this rise in fintechs. And the last one I would say is ecosystems. You know, partnerships are becoming critical uh, these days to creating these products and services. So, you know, hence the rise of consortiums. However, you know, current architectures lack the connectivity to these third parties that would enable innovation. Uh, you know, again, 
this is where smart contracts obviously uh, make it uh, really, really easy to, to connect disparate systems together. Yeah, I think one of, one of the things that really sticks out for me is, is the, the do nothing thing as well. But I think that there's this common misconception that actually starting down a kind of uh, uh, looking at uh, smart contracts or looking at DAML or, or, or distributed ledger in general is, is, is a very costly and time consuming thing and that it gets put off because it seems like a complicated thing. The great sure. thing that we found about DAML is that prototyping using DAML, um, you can get to quite a complex level of interactions um, in very little time. Um, and that's great because it means that you can really um, get ideas off the ground in, in a much quicker way than you can with, um, with other uh, smart contract languages um, where you have to think a lot more about the um, uh, about the technical side and the networking um, uh, rather than actually just you know digging down on the on the dip on on the business side um, Absolutely. so yeah we we found that yeah but the this ability to be able to prototype really really easily and with a, a certain level of complexity it's great for great for for stopping people doing nothing so maybe to end uh, this this uh, podcast if you give one piece of advice to maybe an innovation manager or a C, or a CIO at a global custodian around designing DAML workflows, what would it be? Beyond education, which I think we, you know, we we uh, technology evolves very rapidly uh, these days. So there is an educational, obviously, uh, necessity that I would say, you know, be. Be, be knowledgeable about what you're doing. But I would start really by ensuring that both, you know, the software vendor and the system integrators are experts in their fields um, and 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 uh, can really help you uh, and able to, uh, you mentioned it, uh, how, how quickly can you iterate, uh, in, you know, in a couple of months towards a POC stage or even leading to the, you know, MVP stage. So you need to invest early in that stage so that your transformation project does not become an endless cycle that goes over budget. So what, what we see a lot is people saying, okay, how can I invest as little money as possible in the POC stage so that I have, you know, my, my, my budget ready to go into production? And I think that's, uh, you're doing it the wrong way around. Um, because if you really do your homework, uh, if you, as you uh, rightly said, iterate um, multiple times in that POC MVP stage, you know, it's going to go much more so smoother and faster when you go in production. So the aim would be to get an environment where the market infrastructure that provides, you know, the transfer of assets or transfer of value, as, as we now know, our space is supported by technology that ultimately enables counterparties to come together and that that structure is more transparent, is less hindered by batch processing, uh, time zones, less heavily reliant on commoditized service like middle and back offices. And while I don't know if we see a future where, you know, every asset is digital, I think in the end, the goal is of a more advanced infrastructure. So uh, again, ensure that uh, you keep an eye on your data. Data here is key. Data empowers literally everything in a connected inco uh, economy. So I would say, you know, if I were to summarize it, is uh, get get help, uh, get experts. Um, don't be afraid uh, to to put a, a budget uh, towards a POC and MVP stage, and um, iterate uh, quickly in the first six months. Great advice. Thank you for that. Well, th thank you very much for um, uh, for coming on the, uh, the podcast today, uh, uh, Rodrigo. It's been great having you here. And thank you very much to our listeners at home. And uh, yeah, looking forward to the next podcast in this series. Thank you. Uh, thank you, everybody. 
Thank you, Debbie. Bye-bye. Thanks, bye. Thank you.